everybody. My name is Sir Topham Hatt, and it is my pleasure to inform you that you're about to listen to the Right on Track podcast. All aboard! Good morning, good evening, good afternoon to everyone in the world. This is the Right on Track podcast. My name is Connor, and this is where we talk all things Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends and the Railway Series. But I am never joined alone here. I've got with me my wonderful pedantic friend, Tom Parry. That's me. Hello. Yes, Parry the Pedantic. That is a good name. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And as there's typically three of us here, we've also got... Tom Denham. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, we're going good. How are yourself, Denham? Oh, I'm absolutely spiffy. It's a Thursday morning here in Australia, top of 19 degrees, so I couldn't be merrier. Welcome to the weather report. But... Once again, we are joined by a special guest. Uh, This one has got tons of wonderful Thomas stories on YouTube using Tomy, Playrail, and Blue Track. It is Sidekick Jason. Hello, Jason. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. How are you going today? Things are going well. Just got off work. It's actually Wednesday evening, my time. The weather's also great here. Nice, nice. It's time Beautiful. travel, man. Time travel. Something that we're doing to the sun, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, we have got a wonderful lineup of episodes for us to review today. Harry, what are they? Today's stories that we're reviewing on the Right on Track podcast are Oliver's Find, Happy Ever After, and Sir Topham Hatt's Holiday. I am very much looking forward to discussing all of these stories today as i'm sure we all are yes definitely but before we get into reviewing them it's time to interrogate jason okay who's going to be the good cop and who's going to be the bad cop i'll be the mid cop the questions on me i can take them (laughs) let me at him let him at him okay (laughs) well i i guess what we always start with is jason where did your love for Thomas come from? Well, if anyone's seen my introduction video on my YouTube channel, it kind of gives a, a brief summary of my interest in Thomas as a whole. Um, I really got into Thomas when I was about two years old. Um, loved it. I actually became like obsessed with it. And I don't know, something about it has just never died with me. I've always kind of been a child at heart. And it's been fun as I've been able to kind of take was once a, a childhood dream of mine with my toys and bring it to a whole new level with this YouTube channel that I have um, and actually being able to take the the toys and almost make them in, to look more like the TV series. So it's been really fun. I'm, I'm glad I've been able to do it as an adult and it, it's just kept me young at heart. It, it's, it's interesting, Jason, that you say you're a child at heart because when we approach... Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, as the three hosts of Rise on Track, we tried to look at it from the view of not just Thomas fans, not just our childhood, but 
as adults, would we recommend this to our friends who are in their 20s and 30s and so on? But when you're recommending Thomas the Tank Engine to people, do you look at it from the perspective of a child or do you just look at it from the, the person you are? Do you recommend it based on your own personal feelings? Usually when I talk with people, I tell them that usually their perception of what they think Thomas is, is probably not a correct depiction of what the actual brand was, I guess. Um, I feel like especially after entertainment kind of took over and what, what, what happened to the brand after Magic Railroad really kind of dumbed things down to be more of a preschool brand, as most people generally think of it now. So usually when I talk with, with friends or other people, I, I try and explain mm. to them, like, when you go back actually to the earlier seasons or even further back into the, the original books, you know, this wasn't something that was only for preschool kids and preschool kids only. Like, this was this was something that a whole family could enjoy together. And so I usually point out, too, that most people who you talk to will say that they, they enjoy a, a Pixar movie or a Disney animated movie, even if it it isn't necessarily that they're the target audience or, or they're that, that age demographic. And I think that Thomas, especially the, these earlier seasons, um, has that, that same kind of resonance with people. It's just that most people don't have that common perception of the brand. No, that, that is a very good point on how the modern preschool look of the show is very different to what it was originally. And you're right on how it was something that a family could enjoy sure and i think it, it it's kind of a, a shame where things have gone with the show because i felt like they had some really cool direction a couple years ago especially when you consider some of the later cgi series with with andrew brenner as the the head writer and the fact that now you had it the the show itself going back to its core roots it, it you know, 90s nostalgia is kind of a popular thing right now especially i mean you you can look at netflix or these other places where so many um shows are, are basically being rebooted in in a new form but it, it's, it's all tying back to that nostalgia and thomas was at its peak in the 90s and so it, it to me it's a perfect marketing tactic to basically you know get the parents who grew up with thomas how they envisioned thomas have them showing their children what thomas should be so I, I think that they, they were on the right track there, but sadly, as we know, things have gone quite well opposite of that. Jason, one question we always like asking all our guests who come on Rise on Track is, do you have a favorite memory of Thomas and Friends, either growing up or as an adult right now? Oh, I've got too many memories. Um, actually, what some fun memories from when I was a kid I'm really lucky they were actually captured on on VHS. I've ended up uploading them to my my second channel. Um, so for anyone listening that that isn't aware, I have a second channel that specifically has um, most of the same content, but it's in the UK dub, or I guess the original dub <laughs> on a lot of these. Um, mm -hmm. But I also uploaded a, a while back some home videos, just little clips of, of from my childhood of, of different moments. Um, where where the, where Thomas was somehow a part of it, and so there's there's just fun different clips of me either playing with the trains. There's even one where I actually got my first Tommy set, and I'm literally two years old in a diaper, laying on the floor watching Thomas go around on this this original um, Tommy set, and so I tons of great memories that that I was able to luckily share 
with everyone. So it, it's a little more private. So I, I obviously have kept it there rather than, than with my larger audience on my main channel. So if anyone's interested in seeing some of those, that that's where you can go find them. Mm. But that is amazing how you've actually got footage of those special moments. Yeah, really fun i mean in all the recording for my third birthday absolutely hilarious because um all my family's over and i'm opening presents and the first present i open up is a big ertl die cast play set the roundhouse one with um i mean to me it's like this giant box and <laughs> so that was the first one i opened then then my mom takes the presents like okay now you got to open up these other ones and literally every moment in that whole video where i'm opening up other presents i'm like constantly looking back like is it still there is it you know did no one took that right and i keep like trying to grab it and eventually <laughs> my, my mom just gives up and just lets me open it up and play with it and just saves the other toys for later because i was being too persistent oh that's adorable um uh, another question i have is is there any particular favorite season of Thomas that you like and why? For me, season four was what, like, I guess was when I kind of got snagged into the series because I was born in 96. So during the, I guess, the time that I, I was the right demographic and, well, I guess the target demographic for Thomas, that was right when season five came out. Um, but season four was kind of my introduction, the sing-along songs, um, that whole VHS was my first, um, I guess, taste of Thomas. And so that always rings true to my heart. But like, I think my favorite overall, I like the visuals and I think the, the, the stories overall, I think season three is my all time favorite. Mm. Um, I just don't think that there's ever been a season that that's been able to quite match that level of quality. I know some people argue season four, which I think is absolutely phenomenal for the narrow gauge episodes. But if I had to watch an episode in the style of the standard gauge season four episodes or in season three, I'd pick season three any day. I, I'd agree with you there. <laughs> I believe, Jason, that you and I must have been born around the same time because it was exactly the same for me. I grew up watching season three and four and season five came out at the time when I was the prime audience for mm. Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. So, yeah. Okay, um, Denim, just so we have it on the record, season three is your favourite season, right? Yes, it is. That, there we go. No, because I was, um, we were recording an episode night before last for us, and it got me thinking about what season was my favourite. And, like, I mean, I do love the season four look, but it's definitely a, a, a tie between Series 2 and Series 3 for me. Because Series 2 is, like, extremely classic, but it's got that higher budget and it still has that more industrial look. But Season 3 has just looks so much cleaner. Completely agree. When I, when I was a kid, actually, I didn't realize... Because, obviously, I, I watched them through VHS tapes and they, they jumbled up the stories. There was no correct order um, for them. Oh yeah! So, like absolutely. I actually thought seasons one and two were the same season. I I, I couldn't distinguish visually that they were ah. that they were actually that different. It wasn't until I was older that it was like, oh, I guess that makes sense because now you have more characters and there's more locations that you don't normally see. Like overall, the visuals are are so close that it like it, it is that tie. Yeah, they they could be classed in the same season if it weren't for you know extra characters and locations. 
the the visual quality is very similar. One of the questions I'd like to ask, what was the main source of inspiration behind um, your Tomy recreations? Because what you do, I guess, that is unique to your particular videos is that you make these beautiful sets um, that make, I guess, the island of Sodor feel like a big island. Um, where was, I guess, the inspiration behind this for you? The remakes, I, I had never intended on, on really doing remakes. Um, if you guys know the YouTube user Percy Engine 619 he was kind of the Tomy remake master, and I felt that he did a great job with that, and I kind of just, you know, let him do his thing, and I had mine. And I had done two seasons of my own original um, series with original episodes and everything, and um, it wasn't until... I had started working with the Thomas Creator Collective and I was actually beginning to film for my third season. I, I just because of um, the, the constraints at, at the time I was going to college. I, I, it was between my, my sophomore and junior year. Um, there was a lot of constraints and I knew that I, I had a period to film, but I knew it probably wasn't going to be enough to finish the whole season for, for of my original stuff that I, I had intended to do. And so I began looking at what other possibilities I could do to keep content coming for my channel. Cause between my first and second season, there, there was quite a bit of a break of silence there. And people were like, are you dead? Where, where'd you go? What happened? And so I wanted to have something to keep my, my channel alive. And what had happened is as I earlier on, when I was doing stuff with the TCC, um, it was, or I guess Thomas creator collective, it, it was easy for me when I had certain sets up, it was like, Hey, um, something related to like the great race or, or one of the, the current things that the brand was producing, I would just quickly do a remake because it, it was just an easy thing to, to grow my channel and get a lot of views. Um, then it was kind of fun because I realized I, I, I was doing a, I, I considered for myself a good job at, at recreating them. And so I started doing these comparisons and being able to actually try and see how close I was getting in not necessarily obviously recreating it exactly, but like recreating it in the eyes of like a child with their own toys, kind of what that medium would look like. Um, so then what happened is when I was filming season three, basically I told myself, okay, with, with every set, cause I, I had my set list, my, my top priority was filming my own original episodes. I was like, okay, for every set that I film on, I'll just do all the remakes for the classic seasons one through four on that set because I'm already gonna have it built and that that's the most time consuming part. And so then it, it, it's easy, quick content that I was able to generate. Um, so what happened is then after I, I filmed probably, I think like 40 sets that summer. Um, but I only got about two thirds of the way I needed through to, in order to finish my own season. So my original episodes and content, they're, they're all there, but they're in bits and pieces, kind of like a puzzle with missing parts all through them. So there, there's no complete content that I could upload yet. Cause there, there's all sorts of things missing here and there. And so, but luckily with the remakes, you know, I can upload certain clips of what I was able to finish from those particular sets. So that's kind of just been my content ever since 2017. It's not ideal and it's not really my my preference because my my ultimate goal and my, my hope is that as I do my own original stories, I hope to eventually get around to every 
set that's in the classic series, uh, or I guess seasons one through five. And so obviously while I'm there on that set, I'm going to remake the scenes that, that take place there. But my hope is that then my original episodes will kind of build upon that world because they'll be going back to those locations, especially, you know, you get some really off, off um, locations in seasons five and season three. Um, so I hope to to be able to expand on that. And, and my eventual goal is to actually have all of seasons one through four and hopefully five completely remade full episodes and then help kind of have that in conjunction with my own original episodes, which will all be in the same style because they'll have been filmed together. It opens up the possibility that I could then almost retell some of these classic stories with inserting new scenes and building upon it, almost kind of doing the adventure begin style where you can tie things and, and add more. And so that's kind of been my, my large goal. That's obviously going to take years to create, but that's kind of the me- method to the madness behind all the, the clip remake. Yeah. I love that. The idea of the manifesto. Uh, now we always ask this to all of our guests. We know it's like choosing your favorite child, but do you have, a particular favorite engine or character in the series? Oh, I've, I, as a kid, Thomas was obviously like my, my favorite. Um, but I found like, when it comes to, to writing or creating content. Gordon seems to, I, I get drawn more to Gordon than anyone else. Um, he's kind of becoming more of my favorite, but like, I also feel like I can't stray from the same answer that I've gr- grown up with having. So I, I, I have to say Thomas. Yeah, nice one. And with that, I feel that we should get on to our first episode, which actually is with a character who was introduced in Season 3, Oliver. (laughs) So we are going to be starting off with Oliver's Find, where one day Oliver is feeling rather bored and causes some trouble in the yard. Oliver just grew unhappier. And he was rough with the trucks. You're no good, Oliver. You're dangerous. We want Percy. Pa, Percy's far too busy to be bothered with the likes of you. And he bumped the trucks hard. You silly engine, shouted a workman. It'll take a long time to repair this turntable, which will cause confusion and delay. Now, this represents a significant milestone in Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends because it is the second time we have heard the phrase confusion and delay. Yes, spoken by the turntable workman uh, who insults Oliver after he has pushed some trucks into the turntable well. And we should also add that it is the first time it is said by a character instead of by the narrator in Cranky Bugs. That is correct. Also, there's something very poetic about this clip, because if we remember back to when Oliver was introduced, he had an accident with some trucks in which they pushed him into a turntable well, yeah. and here Oliver is pushing the trucks into a turntable well. <laughs> by accident, but the sweet irony is there. <laughs> mm. oh, but also, it um goes against what was said all the way back in season three is that Oliver never had an accident with trucks again. This is the second accident he's had with trucks in the space of three seasons. I'll start keeping a tally. (laughs) Season three narrator didn't know that though. He didn't have the hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's true, but surely the writers would have said to themselves, now, hold on, but we've got all this material to work with here. Is Oliver going to have another accident? Can we say 100% confidently that he is not going to have another accident with trucks? Two seasons later. <laughs> One season later with Scruffy. <sighs> but yes, now, Denim, would you like to give a synopsis of Oliver's find? Absolutely. So, as we mentioned, Oliver is feeling bored in the yard and he is feeling a bit sad as well. Um, Toad suggests talking to the Fat Controller, also Topham Hat, but in the meanwhile, uh, Oliver has an accident with some trucks on a turntable, as you just heard, and when he meets Fat Controller, uh, he suggests that uh, Oliver takes the mail train for a run uh, so he can have his smoke box cleared out. And this is an opportunity for him to have a change of pace and jobs, and whilst he's on this particular job, he strays down an old line which uh, is leading to a great sense of danger, which he is unaware of. And you know who leads him down that wrong line? Oh, I do. I do. Yes, it's our old pal the Signalon, who once again is at fault. There he is, fast asleep in his signal box, Oliver's whistling loudly and... He just doesn't respond. He's just happily dozing there. It's quite funny, actually, watching this clip, because he's like, come on, I need to get somewhere, but he's just fast asleep. <laughs> the signalman has accidentally led Oliver down the wrong track, and he's fast asleep, so he can't hear Oliver's cries for attention. And Oliver runs along this old abandoned line where he comes across an old station an old shed, which he gets nice and close to when he crashes through the front wall. Uh, the next day, Sir Topham Hat hops on Harold to try and find Oliver, and they find him, say hello, and then Sir Topham Hat congratulates Oliver because he's just found an old house which will be used to serve tea and crumpets to visitors of the island. Which is a pity if you don't like crumpets, but I digress. Um, it's, it's also worth noting as well, the reason why Oliver's stuck in this particular place is not because he's badly damaged, it's because he's run out of water. And if you don't have water, <laughs> then you can't produce steam. And if you don't produce steam, then you can't move. And yeah. It's in the name of a steam engine. They sort of need it to move <laughs> mm, yes we have um, really we, we, we have um discussed on this podcast before as to how steam engines work so if you don't know by now just head back to whatever episode it is that we talked about it and um, you'll be up to speed okay moving on episode 20 or something <laughs> probably there we are have fun <laughs> okay so i i'm I'm really charmed by this story. I don't know whether it's Oliver or whether it's the fact that we go around all these different locations of the island or whatever. It, it just speaks to me for some reason. I find myself really enamoured with the story and what's happening. And I, I don't know. What What about the rest of you? What do you all think? I'm, I mentioned before that I did like Series 3. But I feel what season five has done really well here is the night shot. Oh, yes. Because we get to see Oliver going through the fishing village with red vans of the post train or the mail train. 
And I don't know, but that clash of red with his green in the night just looks so good. You have to mention the the music cue when the mail train comes in. It it, it takes you back to that season three feelings. It's like, oh, the, the night train, the mail train, here we go. Yeah, I think overall the whole color grading on uh, these stories from this season looks really beautiful, makes it look really crisp and makes it look uh, really real as well. Mm, I actually um, was doing some research a couple of nights ago and I only found this out for the first time that they deliberately recolored all the engines from season four because they used the same models but they just gave them a fresh look of paint. So that's why, you know, the likes of Henry and Percy have this very uh, rich apple green, whereas the likes of Oliver and Duck have this more olivey sort of colour. And actually, if you look very closely, uh, Henry's pistons are actually the same colour as they were in Series 4. So they've coloured his entire body and his tender, but not that little bit. So you can actually see, you know, the discrepancy between the two. One thing that's really funny, and you see it in this episode, or not not this one, in the I think actually the next two episodes, um, you you will actually see in Percy's large scale model his boiler and his cab are the two different colors. It's very oh. obvious. Painted. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, that is true. Uh, but yes, as Oliver. Um, is going along the mail train, he meets up with Harold, who's running rather late this night, where we get some wonderful dialogue, where Harold apologises, saying he had trouble with one of his whirly arms, saying it kept laying me down while I was meant to be up, which is just wonderful, clever writing there. Mm, I also like it how he refers to Oliver as Great Western. That That's a yeah. nice touch. There's so many good little dialogue lines in season five. Just like those little golden nuggets, those snippets. Just awesome. And that's what I feel makes season five. Season five. You've got lots of tiny bits of dialogue that just work the whole thing together. Um, But there is a detail I have got to nitpick. Oh dear, here we go. Oh which is... When Oliver passes the signal at danger, due to the dozing signalman, Denim, (laughs) they mention uh, his crew that we'll go slowly. However, not a minute later, we see Oliver careening through an abandoned station and crashing through an old shed door. And you can hear the brakes squealing as he tries to stop. That doesn't sound that slow to me. Maybe the track was wet. <laughs> maybe they didn't have enough time to slow there was down. Was a brakes failure? Yeah, maybe, maybe, but it's just... Well, 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 you've also got to consider, Connor, that a train is not like a car. If you tell a train to slow down, it's not going to slow down instantly. It takes time for it to decrease speed. Same with cars. No, 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 you can, you can, you can, you hold on, Connor, you could stop a car on a dime. My Toyota, it's got ABS brakes, and I've been able to stop it in, like, milliseconds. I'll take your word yes. for that. You still travel <laughs> a distance, no high speeds, please, you still travel a distance when you're braking, and in this scenario, we see Oliver fly 
a good 60 or so meters with his brakes running before he crashes into a shed where he eventually stops. The thing is, is that if you're going slowly, if you're passing a signal at danger, you would think that you'd be going at a slow enough pace that if you did see something, you would be able to stop in a, you know, a welcome enough amount of time. Like, I mean, he crosses over a crossing when he's braking. If what they saw wasn't the shed, but some kind of car or cart on that crossing, it would be demolished. I've got two thoughts that kind of justify that that scenario there. One is, I, I love, and this is something just about the, the, the early seasons of the show, is the detail, because the, they, they didn't do this in the later seasons where they tried to basically have straight tracks everywhere just for simplicity's sake. The fact that there is a mm. curve there, so Oliver's view, it, it would actually be impaired. He wouldn't see that shed until he comes around it, then be able to, to see it to, to know to stop. But then also, I think that there, I'm guessing that by the way that the story is, is laid out, it kind of implies that they go past the signal box, like, okay, we'll, we'll kind of check, but it's like, okay, well, then at what point are they in the clear? I think that they, they were slowly speeding up over time. They said that they were going to stop at the signal box to try and talk to the signalman, except they never reach it because the tracks have been set to an old abandoned line. And that brings up another question. What is this old line? As a kid, I always thought that it was Toby's old line because you have the shed and the station. Oh, yeah. Now, that is a very good point um, on how it has got Toby's shed um, and it has got a station. In fact, the same station seen in Toby's Discovery, another Toby connection. Mm. However, like, I mean, there's the crossing there and the scenery's different. But I do like the idea of it being um, a tramway, at mm. least. A- and I have got a grander theory here, because mm. um, oh. before Oliver finds, uh, quite by accident, the old station, he's waiting at Crosby, which, um, according to some maps... Um, is on the Misty Valley branch line. Is it Crosby? I thought it was Callum. Yeah. That that red bridge. It was red pedestrian bridge. Oh uh, no! Yep, Callan. Sorry, Callan instead of Crosby. It's the letter C, man. Close Cal- enough. <laughs> Connor was schooled by our guest. How about that? <laughs> Listen, right. okay. Too much time looking at these stats. <laughs> no, but that that red bridge is quite a giveaway. Yes, at Callan Station. Uh, before he finds the old station. And the Misty Valley branch line connects to the Peel Godred branch line, which is supposedly where Haunted Henry takes place with Old Bailey's station. And that is two abandoned stations in close proximity to each other. So, I have got a running theory that those two stations were part of some kind of branch line that were run by a tram engine because we know that this station that Oliver is at is a terminus of the line because there's 
no other track that goes out from it apart from the one that he came in on and there's no turntable there to turn any engine around if it were a tank engine which puts the idea that it may have been a tram and if we take an accountability on the old house found nearby it could very much be a private station like the duke and duchess's boxford station definitely gives that vibe yeah i reckon it was probably even a private railway separate from the nwr um so that theory does work well um it can definitely be a tram or tank engines so you never know who this could be and i kind of like the mystery of not knowing the full answer to that Mm. and like if you don't like the idea of it being another private house there's always the sodor's the Sodor Tramways that was in Toby's Surprise are uh, connected to Great Waterton. So there's maybe a connection there. Oh, true. You never know. This is true. But yes, I feel one other thing that you touched on briefly, Jason, that is really good about this episode is the music. For sure. Season 5 has just so many good <laughs> moments in music. Mm, yeah. Absolutely, because you have got the night train theme, and then you have one of my favourites, and it sticks in my head, when after Oliver has crashed, you get a shot of the clock, and you start with the waiting theme of the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And it is so good at building tension and having that little clock ticking. It is so well done, and I absolutely adore it. After four seasons, they were at the top of their game <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Mm, very much so. One thing about this episode, going a little earlier in the story, that when I was re-watching um, before this, that, that has never it never quite struck me until watching it this time. Um, like, why is Oliver not on Duck's branch line? That's never explained. Just kind of seems like, you know, from that point on, he's just kind of there he's like the yard engine yeah mm. that that's actually a consistent problem with season five though jason because we see that a lot of the characters they don't seem to be operating on a schedule or to a timetable they just seem to be wherever the story needs them to be doing work in the coal mines or opening a new station um I, recall, sure. <laughs> I think it might have been it might have been mike the buried truck actually when we had it on, he said that Christopher Audrey stories, they had this issue where the characters just appeared to be together for no apparent reason. And we're experiencing a similar problem in this series of Thomas and Friends. It's that the characters, are ju- they just happen to be places and they're just being name dropped because, you know, they're, they're famous. One thing that, that mm. this particular time watching through that stood out to me, because I, I completely agree with you on this, um, I started thinking, now, wait a second. We actually never see Oliver back on the Little Western after season three. If you, So I, I almost mm. wonder if maybe from the TV series production standpoint, um, the end of Oliver owns up, it doesn't say he goes to work on the Little Western again. He just comes back and he, it shows him pulling a goods train. In season four, and, and Toad stands by, it's never mentioned at all. He's just there in the yard. Yeah, and so it, it makes me wonder if, if there's a 
consistent. Maybe they had decided at that point Oliver, after his accident, would stay only in the yard. That's a possibility, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it, while we think it might be a consistency error, what if that was actually their logic behind it and it wasn't from their point of view? So kind of interesting. Mm, that's an interesting point. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess one detail that we're still going on with here is we're trying to stick to the Railway Series law on how, you know, Duck, Donald, Douglas, and Oliver all run the Little Western. But, and that, you know, Toad, instead of being Oliver's brake fan, is Douglas's? Yep. Yep, I got that right. I, there, <laughs> there's twins, okay? I'm. It's a 50-50 shot either way. <laughs> it is Douglas's brake yep. fan, except in this episode as we see here toad and oliver have very much still got that discussion going despite the fact that when oliver's pulling the brake train he isn't pulling it with toad yeah maybe toad took the opportunity to be someone else's brake fan which i kind of like which leans into seasons much later on as well Uh, no like the least likely person he'll pair with is james but you never know (laughs) <laughs> anyway <laughs> one additional thought that i i have um because obviously we don't want to spend too much time on on this particular episode but one one additional idea um i really liked that in this story after all of it oliver has this you know fairly big accident he caused quite a bit of trouble Matt shows up and doesn't actually punish him you know he kind of he gives him that kind of stern disappointment but he's like i'm gonna help you i'm gonna have you go clear your smoke box by doing this other job instead like, I, I feel like there's such a stereotype behind Sir Topham Hat as like he comes in and punishes the engines after they they've had their accident or whatever. It's kind of a cool change of pace to have him instead be like, no, let let let's try this instead. More sympathetic, more like punishment isn't always the answer to it. And I really like that. It, it's subtle, but it, it's it's just kind of different from everything else you see in the series. It, it's it, there is some. Um, it... The issue I had with this particular moment, though, as a child, is that uh, from the sound of Sir Topham's voice and the look on his face, it does look like he's punishing Oliver. But then you lay out, you you know, you show... Um, we see later that uh, Oliver does the mail train. And as a kid, I thought to myself, hold on, the mail train doesn't seem like a punishment. It just seems... Because I was still in that Reverend Audrey phase frame of mind that if you do good work you get rewarded and if you do bad work you get punished you know that old um black and white dichotomy so yeah it's i I mean i do agree with you jason it's really good to see the fat controller doing something other than punish an engine but yeah it just uh, when you're a child watching this and you've read the stories and you've seen all the earlier episodes you just think to yourself hold on what what's he doing now and as a Mm. He's very much like a human resources <laughs> manager. <laughs> he As a kid, too, it almost makes you wonder if Oliver didn't find the, you know, the house and the station. Let's say he just had an accident with the mail train. Would he have just been punished? Like, Mm-mm, yeah. Did he avoid punishment yeah. because he randomly found something? But like, like... <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I guess the big reason here why he wasn't punished was because, as you say, his view was obstructed by the curve coming into the station. 
it wasn't meant to be on that track due to signalman error. I was and, the woman who got punished in the end. <laughs> yeah, and, and he was kept late by Harold. So everything that led up to this accident, Harold running late, the signalman, the tracks and the curve and the old station, all just line up so that Oliver has had this accident. That isn't his fault. Something that I found um, really interesting as a kid watching this episode, it's in the very first scene of this story. I think there's, uh, it's it's not an even more interesting story, but it's a story that I want to know about. As Toad and Oliver interjecting with one another, you can see this train moving in the background. And if you look carefully enough, it's Mavis pulling this absolute mega train. I want to know what the story is behind that as well. Yeah. Really? Is it Mavis? Yeah, you can see her yellow back. Mavis appear any other time in this season? Let's see. It's at the quarry, right? Mm-hmm. When Stepney gets lost. Yep. Is that it? Mm-hmm. No, yep, that's that, one. that is Mavis. And, Why is um, she pulling so many trucks? <laughs> she She's a strong, independent engine. But yeah... They lost the Markman <laughs> engine at that point. Oh, true. <laughs> Actually, true. it looks the, nice the Mar- here. The Markland engine is still around, uh, chassis wise, because it was his chassis that pushed the runaway trucks in put upon Percy. Mm, that's right. One thing I do have to add, though, just personal preference that yard at the beginning of the um, episode, and it's all through season five, too. That is by far my least favorite yard in the classic series. Really? I feel like it's just kind of thrown together. Like the tracks don't make any sense. It's just kind of, you know, they just, they just kind of put it together. It doesn't feel like there's a turntable. There's a, Mm. it's just kind of got a bunch of random stuff. Cause if you look, they, they film a lot of scenes on it. They made it so versatile, but it, it definitely feels like that was what they were going for rather than like a, realistic or legitimate yard like what you see in seasons two and three which it's well even four where you know there's a lot more tracks it's a much bigger yard this one's like it's a big yard but the tracks are just kind of all over mm. Mm. it's actually um tidmouth yard set just extensively redressed oh that's interesting Tidmouth yard um so so the tidmouth shed set but just redressed? No, 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 not not Tidmouth Sheds, the uh, actual yard outside Tidmouth Station, I believe. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. I didn't look at it that way. I always kind of viewed it as that it was just like a separate yard. Mm, and I'm pretty sure it is the same one uh, seen in One Good Turn, just again, redressed. Mm. With the turntable and tracks going everywhere. It's a possibility, yeah. I think this is, this is the first time in the series I think we see a single um, that, that brick engine shed by itself. Yes. Obviously, they, they had made that to be like it's supposed to be for Thomas on the branch line. And then obviously the two other added, added on the Farquhar sheds. But I think this is the first time like it alone is just set on a set. Mm. Plenty to discuss. Rankings. Okay, uh, my score for this one, it's an 8 out of 10 for Oliver's find. I do really enjoy it. There are a couple of inconsistencies, but overall, it's a really charming story. Yep. 
I'd agree with you there. It's a solid 8 out of 10. It's a great story with great visuals, few inconsistencies and areas where it could use a little bit of polish, but it's a solid story. Yeah, I reckon it's um, probably a 7 for me. I definitely enjoyed his story in retrospect. Um, always enjoyed it as a kid as well. Um, there's a lot of different stuff going on. It's nice to see Oliver do something different as well, and it makes up for some really nice visuals. And that leaves our guest, Jason. Oh, this is a tough one. Probably, I don't know, an eight or a nine, honestly. I feel like one thing about this episode is it's always one that, you know, you can come back to every so often, and it's just as fun to rewatch. It's just one of those good ones. So is it an eight or a nine? Or maybe an 8.5? Let's get an 8.5. How about okay. that? Okay, 8.5 as well. Fantastic. There we go. And now we move on to our second story. Denim? This story that we're going to be covering is Happy Ever After. And in the clip, uh, Percy has a run-in with Terence the Tractor, who's going to inform him of some news. Percy was taking some trucks to the docks. Terence the Tractor was working in a field close to the line. Hello, Percy. Nice day for it, isn't it? Percy was confused. Uh, um, nice day for what? Mrs. Kindly's daughter is getting married today. Oh, yes, of course, said Percy. But when Percy saw Mrs. Kindly, she was standing by her gate waving a red flag. What's the matter? asked the driver. I've forgotten about the good luck package for the bride. Percy was puzzled. Uh, what's a good luck package? It must contain something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue. Can you help, please? Percy didn't know how, but his driver was determined. We'll certainly try. Indeed, it is a happy day on the island because Mrs Kindly has returned once more and it is her daughter's wedding day, which is absolutely charming. But I'm afraid that there is something more sinister here. Something more somber. Uh, Sad. Sinister and somber. What on earth could you be referring to, Master Jonas? This is Terence's last speaking role until Series 21. Whoa! Terence breaks the ice, which is 16 series later. Well, at least he gets to make a comeback, unlike a certain Diesel that I'm fond of. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Terence is orange, I, I so... Yeah, oh. yeah, we've got enough green stuff. We haven't got much orange stuff. Oh, gee, you two, you're just... A... Especially when you consider how much promotional material Terence was in during that break. Oh, oh yeah. You make a good point, actually, yeah. Like, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've still got quilt covers that have got Thomas, Bertie, Terence, and... Just the on other it. one. Like... And you could see him in the Great yeah. Discovery. Yeah, you can. Uh, he was mainly used as set dressing, though, sadly. But yes, it is a wonderful day on the island because Mrs. Kindly's daughter is getting married. Mrs. Kindly, you've got a lovely daughter. Is there something you want to share with us, Parry? No, no, oh. I'm just making a reference to that Herman's Hermit song. But obviously it's lost on everybody else here, so, you know, we may as well edit that out. <laughs> I'll edit it out. 
<laughs> um, and I'll actually edit it out. <laughs> it'll still be here. But yes, um, coming back to the story at hand, I'll provide a brief summary. As we heard in the clip, Mrs. Kindly's daughter is getting married. It's up to Percy to find the something old, something new, something borrowed, etc. The something new and borrowed he finds at the docks, it's a pair of buffers on a a flatbed, so that's two out of four. Then uh, when travelling one of the yards, Percy comes across old slow coach, who they actually... Uh, he and Thomas, rather, rescued in a previous story. What one was it again, fellas? I can't remember. Old Slow Coach. Old Slow Coach. That's the Thomas one. Thomas Percy and Old Slow Coach. Thomas Percy and Old Slow Coach. There we are. It's all, it's all in the name. Literally in the name, yeah. yes. How did I miss that one? And once they've collected Old Slow Coach, the crew then come across Thomas, covered in ribbons, who's the something blue. And that comprises the good luck package... For the bride. Now, now, I was under the, the understanding that the good luck package, it was like a gift box. It was something you gave the bride. But obviously, yeah. no, it's just something that you show them on the day and then they never have to do them well, again. What? Keep in mind that one of the somethings is something borrowed. Oh, yeah. So I've, even I've if only it, just realised that. Oh dear. Yeah, so, oh. So even <laughs> if it is a gift that you give them, they're going to need to return one out of the four things back. Okay, yes. You know, j- just just give the whole thing back. But one thing I really... Does like, that mean they own Thomas now? <laughs> is their own little private toy train? Oh, it would seem so. Um, but, yeah. Yes, I know he's an engine, not a train. Shut up. Oh. <clears throat> One of the interesting things on the first viewing of this, of this episode as a child, I saw this episode prior to Thomas Percy and Old Slow Coach and in my childhood mind, because I couldn't quite understand what Angelus was saying here, I thought Old Slow Coach was called Wasket because when um, Percy says, you're it, and then Old Slow Old Slow Coach goes, I'm what's it? I kind of assumed that was their name. And then it wasn't until oh. I saw Thomas Percy and Old Slow Coach, I went, no, no. I was in the wrong. <laughs> no, but you bring up a good point there, that when Percy comes across Old Slow Coach, at first the narrator goes, ah, you know, it's Old Slow Coach. And then they have a little discussion. And then on, they refer to Old Slow Coach as the coach, which keeps the continuity from the end of Thomas Percy and Old Slow Coach, where there's nothing old, old or, or slow, slow about, about coach. coach anymore. When do they? At what moment do they call her Coach later in that narration? In that narration, I don't believe they do. They just end the episode. In, in the in this particular episode, because I know that they call her Old Slow Coach in the beginning of the episode. They only call her Coach in the sentence afterwards. Where um, Percy goes, you're it. And then it's, I'm what's it, said the coach. Yeah, it, it does refer to, to old slow coach as old slow coach. Because could... I, I, I've debated this in my own um, writing for my own series. Because it's like, well, what do you actually call her? Because some people have taken that approach where, oh, no, she's no longer old and slow. So now it mm. has to be just called coach. But it's like, is that really a proper like name to give that character? Like. So, coach. 
<laughs> your your <Name>? diesel. <laughs> yeah. Hey, your 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 engine, your truck. <laughs> I I am tender engine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've always kept the continuity in the fact that she was called old slow coach in both episodes. So it's just like that's what people mm. recognize her as. But I guess that's true though, that maybe in dialogue amongst characters, they don't actually directly ever call her that anymore. Yeah, on, on how it's just the coach. On how old slow coach I feel is mainly due to merchandising and recognizability. Maybe she has a name we don't mm. know about. Because the shame they just never gave her a name. Yeah, yeah. What is old slow coach's real name, if any? Esmeralda. I'm going with that. It's that's headcanon now. <laughs> it's Esmeralda, old slow coach. <laughs> Esmeralda it works. The first name I came up with. <laughs> One one thing I, I really like about this is that it ties in a new character from another episode. I feel like mm. the later seasons were terrible about that. You know, they had these one-off characters that were one and done. At least in season five, when they did it, they tried to, you know, keep the continuity. In it Like Cranky appears a couple of times. Like, you know, they tried yeah. to make them a part of the universe rather than just like, oh, we're here for merchandise. <laughs> Mm, yeah, and on that point, Cranky is still a part of the show. I mean, even the latest seasons, we still see him. Yeah, he's still a main character at the docks. But there there are some really interesting things about this episode. Like, I mean, you, we mentioned on how one-off character returns with Coach, but Mrs. Kindly has returned again, which is fantastic. Yeah. And it's then so much love and attention in season five. I know. And then you also bring in her grander family on how you've got her sister and then you've got her daughter getting married. And I love on how with everything, Mrs. Kindly is still a part of the railway on how the railway wants to go help her. And the fat controller is at her wedding or is at her daughter's wedding. I love the fact that they've given her a flag to stop engines. (laughs) Yes. No longer uses her blanket or whatever, her dress. (laughs) It was her dressing gown. Yes. Uh, Now now it's like, yep, you and Dick and I use that instead. (laughs) (laughs) There's a nice little continuity there. And, okay, okay. There, There are two small things I want to have a tiny rant about. One, the new shiny buffers are the best supported and structured buffers I've ever seen on the show. That's why they're new. Why on earth are they that color? (laughs) That's what they look like when they're new, yeah. Mm. They're they're painted with, like, red and they're steel. Like, there are Tomy sets with red buffers. It, I know, I've got a few of them. It's an update. I always wondered of, as a kid, yeah. where were those buffers going? Like, I felt that they were special buffers. It was like, is mm. there a special sighting? And then, of course, obviously Magic Railroad happens later, and then, like, oh, maybe they, <laughs> they were special buffers. I don't know. Shh, 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 keep that secret. That's exactly what I, that's exactly what I thought as a kid. I thought, oh, is this the Magic Buffers? But no, they'd have to be there for an even longer period of time. Um, I always thought that these buffers would be going into a station like Kirk Ronan with another pair of red buffers. 
They are like reddish orange in Kirk Ronan. Mm. It's interesting. But, um, I didn't think about that. These buffers are made out of great steel. They look like they could take a tank engine. And the thing is, is that every other buffer on the island, apart from the one in Percy James and the Fruitful Day, is weak as straw. I want these buffers. It's ridiculous. There should have been an episode addressing that where Satofam Hat's like, there's been too many accidents, guys. We're, we're bringing in these new types of buffers. This should hopefully keep the rate down a little bit. And then Diesel's there trying to like purposefully knock them over as a challenge. <laughs> well, actually, all of this talk, it's reminded me of the Series 6 story with Bill and Ben and where Ben goes and gets new buffers and then Bill does everything in his power to ruin his own front end so he can get new ones. Mm. Yeah, that's of course, true. we're talking about the buffers of the engine and not the buffers at the end of the track. Yes, I, I, I know, I know, but I just it's wanted for the to. I, the I, I thought it was relevant to our conversation. I wanted to bring it up. It was relevant. I thought it was too. It yeah. was relevant. I never discounted I'll give you that. Um, okay, what's the second thing you wish to complain about, Connor? Thomas is going to turn into a moving fireball. Hey, he's still listening <laughs> because of all the streamers on him. He's got all these streamers and ribbons on him. Isn't it dangerous to have such flammable materials on steam engines, which one of the two keen components of their movement is fire? Well, I have seen banners on a steam locomotive before, and I can say they did not catch fire, so I live to tell the tale. Yes, but typically banners are put along the sides. They're not wrapped around the funnel, going around the wheel arches, along the side tank. It, it's just... I, I, I'm I, half-picturing that in a second, there's just going to be a spark from his funnel, and then the entire wedding will be pandemonium as Thomas is trying <laughs> to rush into the sea to put himself out. I can hear the screams now. It's moments after Percy was kissed that it happened. Oh, 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 actually, yes, you bring up um, something I wanted to say, Denim. Um, yeah, uh, Mrs. Kindly's daughter, the new... Um, we, actually, we never find out who her husband is, but anyway. Uh, she When she thanks Percy, she climbs up it's on... It's Percy! <laughs> um, yeah, so Mrs. Kindly's daughter, after the wedding, climbs up on Percy to thank him for collecting the good luck package she kisses him on the face his eyes spin rapidly as what ha as happens when the engines are happy and then he grows bright red now this he blushes raises, he blushes now this raises several questions i'm not sure i can uh, raise all of them on a family friendly podcast but um <laughs> why is percy so um Thrilled why is he blushing? How's that? Why is he blushing? Why yeah. has he it, got it, blood it, to blush? It, it's oh. I'd assume so. Oh no, uh, no, it, it no, it brings up so many questions. We can't talk about it. No, a can I'm of worms gonna... here. If it, we take out the sentient acts um, aspect, this bride has just kissed a boiling hot engine boiler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But but that is what I feel maybe an okay explanation for this. Instead of having blood, that red is actually the heat 
of the of Percy blushing. So, so that one kiss oh, was true. able to send his temperature through the roof. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. <laughs> and then Thomas and Percy both explode. <laughs> no, Percy <laughs> boiler explodes. Thomas is just a burn. Oh no, it's Shed 17. Okay. Oh but... no! Oh no, 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 no. But um, there, there are plenty of just lovely details about this episode, whether it's the coach or even at the wedding, the good luck package has got horseshoes all along it, which are horseshoes facing upwards with the opening to the sky is supposed to be a representation of good luck. And then even the music, just after Percy has done uh, talking to Terence, there's a wonderful combination of Percy's theme and Here Comes the Bride. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah, It's really cool because in the, these early seasons, there's just so many things that even, you know, us at our age, having watched these a million times back and it's like wow look at that detail don't like that little thing like it, it's crazy because especially compared to obviously some of the later seasons where you could tell that they weren't putting in any effort at all but just like sheer passion was going into this when like the people creating it knew it was for a kid's show but they were like they loved it so much that they just did their best effort and made like made it as good as they could i mean it just shows how oh, awesome yeah. the early show was there, there wasn't that yeah. thing of, ah, the kids won't notice if we do this, so we won't bother. It was, we're putting it there because it's fun and it sounds great. Mm, it's absolutely a, a yeah. thrill when these, as we saying, these shows which are directed primarily towards children, they put in little Easter eggs and uh, background gags and all sorts of things that, you know, just help keep everybody entertained. Um, if we could briefly discuss another show one of my favorites is an early episode of Sean the sheep where in the background <laughs> as um the sheep are cleaning up the farm you can see one of them polishing a turd right <laughs> that's beautiful yeah I, I think that gag is absolutely brilliant and you know it's one of those things that if you're not paying attention to everything in the background you miss it but when you see it it's just brilliant mm. I think one of my favorite shots in this particular episode um, is after old slow coach and Percy have their interjection about what the wedding entails. You then see um, Percy's unusual train on its way through Tidmouth and into that tunnel. But the way that the camera pans down and across is really, I don't know, interesting to watch. Mm, mm. I, I, I know what you're on about. Um, there, there are just a few more notes I've got to have here. Uh, you mentioned Old Slow Coach again. It is her last appearance ever. Oh. Which is a shame. Not here. Because before I got my wooden railway express coaches, I got Old Slow Coach, who I used as my express coach. And I absolutely adored her. Um... And the other thing is, this is the last episode where Wellsworth is referred to as Edward Station. Is it now? Because, of course, in the episode, Percy meets Edward at Edward Station, where there's a wonderful bit of dialogue where Percy talks about on how he doesn't know where to find the something old, new, borrowed, and blue. 
and Edward says they're probably staring you in the smoke box when Edward himself is well known for being old and blue. Yeah, that's another thing that I, <laughs> as a kid, I was going, hold on, there's someone who's old and blue. Why not just select Edward? And he's already taking the guest to the party. So, you know, it means yeah. he doesn't have to go searching for him. I love how, like, Edward's not offended by that. He just, like, he gives that mature sage advice. He doesn't, like, expect that Percy's going to take that advice he's not offended that percy doesn't you know he just kind of he gives it and he goes about his own business just moves on and i feel like that's just perfect edward no you're exactly right it's brilliant it is it perfectly encapsulates his character uh so now that uh we've i think we've discussed this story enough in depth so should we head on to rankings absolutely and i'm gonna come out of the gate with a nine. Ooh, denim Ah, 6.9. That's the second time you've given out a 6.9. It's very specific. Is that the word you're willing to give? (laughs) Just give it a 7. Ah, 6.9. If you want, Uh, I'll consider the idea that the magic buffers were in this episode. No, no, no. The magic buffers are way older than that. (laughs) 6.9. I am actually going to give uh, Happy Ever After a 7 out of 10 because I think it's a very mellow and a very charming story, but there's not really a lot happening. It's just kind of serene. I mean, I like that, but, you know, when we had so many highs in this season already, you know, it just feels like this is... Mm. It's just there, kind of. Look, But again, it is really good. I do enjoy it. There's heaps of neat little touches in there, so it's definitely a seven. And that leaves Jason. What are you going to give uh, Happy Ever After? It's a tough one. I, I, I think I'll give it another 8.5. And I don't think it's as strong of a story or quite as memorable as Oliver's Find. Um, I, I think mm. that it it's so unique because it's the only Thomas episode that's about a wedding and like that's the conflict and and it's it it touches certain points that like it expands the Thomas universe and the fact that you like get to see the human characters having a wedding like 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 you said before also expanding Mrs. Kindly's family and so like I think it's a it's a really good episode on being something fresh and unique to the series especially at the time um I wouldn't say it's it's the strongest episode of the this, this season or anything. I think an 8.5 is a is a good medium there. Okay, so with that, it's time for us to move on to our musical interlude that we regularly love to have here on Rise on Track. And this week, it's from Upside Now, who has done an orchestration of Gordon's theme from the original run of the show. You are listening to Right on Track. We'll be back after this with our review of Sir Topham Hatt's Holiday.
And welcome back to the Right on Track podcast. That wonderful little beat that you heard there was an orchestral arrangement of Gordon's theme. I think epic is the only word that I can describe it. And that was done uh, none other by uh, Upside Now. And with the reason why we play that at the moment, Upside Now is currently doing a Kickstarter called Thomas Reorchestrated Sodor Symphony. Um, he is planning to do an orchestral album based on the soundtrack from the very first season of Thomas and Dangerton and Friends. There is a Kickstarter that we'll link in this episode, but definitely go and uh, if you enjoyed that uh, piece of music, I have no idea what to expect out of this, but definitely uh, help to back the project and uh, give him some love over there. Um, I reckon it's going to be fantastic. But now we're moving into our final episode for the uh, this instalment of the Right on Track podcast. That indeed we are. And uh, Jason, I believe you picked the clip for this story. So, yeah, why don't you give us a primer? What can we expect? Well, if you're a, a US viewer, you have one of Alec Baldwin's best moments as the as the voice there with his, what was that? Topham hat, an iconic line of this episode. Um, so we'll be watching Tiger Moth's debut um, as he enters and surprises Sir Topham Hat. They were just about to board Harold when it happened. What was that? cried Sir Topham Hat. That's Tiger Moth, grumbled Harold. It's rude and flies much too low. So I can see. Please take us up, Harold, before there's another disturbance. That is a clip from Sir Topham Hatt's Holiday, one of the many great moments of that story. But, um, yeah, and I say many because a lot happens in this. I mean, when Sir Topham Hatt goes on holiday, he doesn't just come across tiger moth he comes across he a lot he, he does so many things he begins by having arrived with his family on annie and clarabelle and his what off to the seaside and his wife refers to thomas's coaches as beach hearts which uh, upsets him profoundly and day two yes day two what happens on day two connor Day two, they go off to Dryall Airfield to have a wonderful sky-high ride with Harold the Helicopter, where we are introduced to Tiger Moth, who swoops low, the low-flying hooligan of the skies. And then a few days later, on approximately day five of Sir Topham Hatt's holiday... Yes, we discover that Tiger Moth has gone missing, and Sir Topham Hatt says, well, I guess we better search for him then, and... They find the plane uh, crashed into a haystack on the side of the track, and after providing an admonishment of their of the pilot, who has that classic RAF voice, you know, jolly good sir, tally ho, and all that. And I'm surprised they didn't get a laugh, actually. <laughs> no, no. Oh, uh, can, can we just add some candle after to that clip there? So, you know, it actually sounds like someone enjoyed what I was doing. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I just internally laughed. Oh, okay. The, my in-, in my defense, your your audio cut out just briefly, so I didn't hear the punchline there. So that's why I didn't laugh. In my defense, <laughs> I would have laughed for you. 
Oh, thank you very much, Jason. I think uh, my internet is absolutely, again, it's atrocious. But anyhow, after finding Tiger Moth, Topham and his family decide to take a ride on a canal. Uh, They take their boat into a rather shallow, muddy bit and they get stuck. And um, actually, I'm not going to spoil what happens next because it's just... It's just too good. You need to see the story. You need to see the TV episode because, yeah, it's just, it, it's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll mention it when we get to it when moving across the episode. So first impressions of this episode, guys. Well, well I love it. It's quaint. I like it too. Again, it's, it's a new dynamic for the series and the fact that this is probably, the I think, the second time ever in the series where the humans take the lead on the episode. Mm. It is. So we saw it earlier on. Mm, Yes, that's exactly right. And then uh, we come to here, and a a lot of the criticisms I directed towards that particular story can be found here as well, because, again, it's with mostly human characters. There's not a lot of animation. Um, We're just looking at still images of figurines, basically, for most of the time. But... um, no, I really love it when uh, the show goes away from the railway and we actually see, you know, all these little bits of countryside and roadway that we wouldn't otherwise see if we were following the trains. I mean, particularly when they're on the canal, it's very serene and it's quite lovely. I'd love to see more episodes take place on Sodor's canals. The fact controller even says that it's great to be away from the railway. Mm. When he takes Harold and flies to his... Um vacation house that part as a kid was always interesting to me because it was so far removed from the trains like and especially because you can't see any trains anywhere like it actually felt like it was an isolated part of the island so far away from everything else it's also kind of funny because i i think that was intentional that like sir topham hat can't actually have a vacation unless he really does isolate himself from the railway (laughs) the only way you can get there is by air (laughs) or bus um Mm. But this episode is really interesting because a lot of different things happen and there are tons of intertwined stories happening with it. And it it seems to occur over the progress of a week because, you know, it starts off with Sir Topham Hatt and his wife, along with the grandchildren, took Thomas, Annie and Clarabelle down to the seaside. And then Lady hat insults Annie and Clarabelle. And then it goes, the next day, Percy took them to the airfield to see Harold. And then, a few days later, uh, Harold met Sir Topham Hatt as at his holiday home to find the missing tiger moth. And then they go down on the canal. Like, the entire thing seems to be a week-long story. Mm, and it all condenses it into this four-and-a-half-minute narrative. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it works so well. It does. It really does. I mean, even though a lot of stuff happens, um, I, we, I often say on this podcast, uh, in particular stories, a lot happens and at the same time nothing happens. But in this particular instance, a lot is happening, but it doesn't feel like too much is happening. You know, it's just the right amount of something is happening at this particular moment. That's a good parry quote. The right amount of something is happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's really impressive is if you actually stop the episode at the two-minute marker, it, that's at the point where they find Tiger Moth. 
Uh-huh. Like, think about how much of the story has progressed in literally two minutes. Yeah. Like, you get the stuff with Annie and Clarabelle. You get uh, the first introduction to Tiger Moth, and you get to top not going to his vacation home. Then he goes and finds Tiger. Like, the fact that they condensed it. And what's so cool about it is that it doesn't feel rushed. Yeah, it just no, feels exactly. like right. It's just very quick fire dialogue. Like, it, it's the right cadence. It's very natural, like a Thomas story. Mm. But but we we mentioned uh, finding Tiger Moth there. Nose down the haystack. So Topham Hat informs Tiger Moth's pilot that he will speak to his controller. Now that either means air traffic controller, which wouldn't be at fault in this case, and they don't have much authority. They're more of a guide. Or there is an entire Northwestern Skyways going on with its own fl- fly-high controller that's happening on Sodor. One thing that's very interesting to, to me with this, the whole se- with season five, especially in Harold, think of Harold's relationship to the railway in season five and his interactions with the characters versus the previous seasons two, seasons three, like he's actually like a part of the railway family. Like Sir Topham Hatt uses him, go places or do things the way he would go use a train. Yeah. Like it's kind of, I feel like the, the last episode we discussed how like Mrs. Kindly's family was expanding, but also like Mrs. Kindly is part of the railway family. I think Harold is also encompassed in that railway family. Like, I feel like previous seasons dressed the characters almost as like neighbors, some, mm. of, some of their competition and banter. Whereas now, like everyone's been on the island for so long that they've really become family altogether in like their relationship and bantering. Like, I feel like it's matured in some ways. Quite right. I think also in previous seasons, it was kind of played off the fact that Harold was superior because he could fly and pretty much go everywhere. Whereas in series five it's shown that you know he's not there to replace the engines he's there to support them he's there to you know provide help when and where he needs to exactly in in fact i would like to um add a little bit of stuff here on how all of um all of harold's change happens in series five because before series five he was essentially just a a bit of a rescue helicopter in a way and the first time he has a main role in series five is in toby and the flood where he's investigating the damn wall then the dam breaks and then he goes and helps toby before he turns into splintwood and then the next time we see him is in Thomas and the Rumours, where the idea on Harold being superior and taking over the railway is actually a big part of the episode. And then we're here in Oliver's Find and Sir Topham Hatt's Holiday, where he's used to deliver post, and he is used by the Fat Controller to travel about and do different things, as well as search and rescue. Oliver's Find and Sir Topham Hatt's Holiday really both, I feel, add so much to Harold's character without making it obvious, but making it feel right. Yeah, I agree. Mm, very true. He hardly speaks 
in these episodes. Yeah. And it shows, I mean, they really pack a punch with it. Absolutely. Um, now, we, there is, of course, one of the main lines uh, of Harold is when he talks about Tiger Moth, who flies recklessly and low and causes trouble. Tiger Moth is a bit of a weird character because he appears multiple times um, and on the same hand, he is not sentient. Yet, yet he is probably one of, like, surprisingly well-known for what he is. And I feel that's because he's not a helicopter. He's a flying plane. Hmm. And um, as we heard, or learned rather, in our interview of Rob Gould Galliers, he's not actually a tiger moth. He's a very different kind of biplane. Correct. He's actually a Newport 17C1 biplane. Hmm. Um, which I believe... Can you explain how... Was that intentional then in the script that it, he was not the correct... wasn't named the correct plane? No, I think they were just... We didn't uh, learn about um, the writing from Rob, but um, I, I think um, what they were going for was just really an easy name to remember, particularly for children. So something that was catchy that, um, yeah, stuck with them. You say that. This is what I like to think. I think that Harold has seen Tiger Moth in passing numerously, but he only goes so fast and he's far away enough that Harold has to Gwent, and he goes, I think that's a Tiger Moth plane. Yeah, maybe. Mm. But, <laughs> but, there is one other reason why, and I think this is the real reason why this is called Tiger Moth. Mm-hmm. Because there is another famous Tiger Moth in media. And no, I am not talking about the plan from Stuart Little 2. That was actually based <laughs> off this tiger moth from this episode. But this tiger moth is based off the tiger moth model used in the Thunderbirds movie Thunderbirds 6, where the sixth Thunderbird vehicle is a tiger moth plane that shares the exact same paint scheme. Oh. Ah. It is uncanny how similar they are. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. I see the resemblance. And that definitely would have been intentional too. I mean, Rob's a smart man. He knows what he's doing. Not only that, Andrew Brenner and Jerry Anderson both worked on Thunderbird 6, I believe. I believe Jerry Anderson was actually instrumental in the creation of it. Wow. There you go. So this was very much a fan put together image um, of one of the shows that friends worked on in the past. How about that? Slight off topic. Interesting. I've put an image in the chat there for you guys of the Thunderbird 6. Um, also, I should mention, I've just had a bus go past me, and the music is playing at the primary school near where my parents live, so um, you'll have that as background noise to edit out. And there's the bell, so, yeah. I just heard the bell, I heard That's okay, you've probably heard yeah, okay, running water on my end and all sorts, so... 
<laughs> Dripping taps. <laughs> Flush of a toilet. <laughs> you probably have music okay. at point too. Yep. Okay. Uh, going back to this last episode that we're reviewing, yep. there is, of course, the final sort of part of the story, which is where the Sodor maid gets stuck in the mud. Stuck in the mud. And then proceeds one yes. of the best visual gags in the entire show. Yes, this Percy... is what I was alluding to, and we can't do it justice, but... We can't on, do Connor. it justice. Percy comes along asking if he can help. So Top of Hat goes, in fact, you can. And then you get a shot of the boat moving freely along with... Lady and Sir Topham Hatt sitting aboard. And Sir Topham Hatt goes, This is the life. And then the camera pans out to reveal that the boat is not on the water, but is in fact on a flatbed and has been lifted up by the breakdown train that Percy is now pushing along. <laughs> it is one of the best visual gags in the show, and we cannot do it justice. You mm. need to go look at it for yourself. And what's also very interesting about that, not just that particular scene, but the episode as a whole, uh, is how little the narrator intervenes in proceedings. You know, it's a very much, it's very much a visual story, this. Yeah. And yes. Michael Angelis and Alec Baldwin are only there to sort of either provide the voices of the characters or provide some sort of context to what's going on. Exactly. Season five really became show don't tell yes season because it, it wasn't constrained to storybooks anymore mm. so it was you know it had free reign to do whatever they wanted and the narrator was only needed to support yes exactly and then of course uh at the end of the episode they bring the soda made flatbed and all to tidmouth halt station where thomas annie and clarabelle are waiting to pick up sir topham his wife and the grandchildren and uh, slight note here, isn't it extremely dangerous and illegal to be riding alongside the boat? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> city ordinances in, <laughs> on Sodor, what are you talking about? But this is where the story loops itself together in a nice little bow where Annie and Clarabelle have been repainted... Lady Hat doesn't recognise them and goes, oh, these are so much better than those beach huts on wheels. And, like, there's another wonderful gag where no one chooses to say a word. And then at the very end of the episode, Annie and Clarabelle and Thomas sort of talk about each other and they don't even summarise the story. But it's such a beautiful ending scene and it really brings together the idea that there are a bunch of parallel stories running here, which makes this world feel alive. Because mm, you've got, I... it almost feels like there's been a story with Thomas, Annie and Clarabelle happening in the background, whilst I... the story with Tiger Moth has been happening. I kind of wish they had to show that story, though, because... When I see Thomas and Annie and Clarabelle at the end of the story, it, it there's kind of like almost no correlation. It doesn't really tie up the conflict. It's just like a bookend of the narrative, really. I know exactly what uh, you mean. I think one thing that's kind of cool, sorry, in, in regards to continuity, is the fact that 
you watch any of the other previous episodes of season five, they are that dirty, like they they have that dirtier paint job. Mm, true. So it's just funny because it's like that story that they go off and do. It could be any of the other times they appear on season five. Yeah. It could be, yeah. We also need to mention that before this episode, uh, there is actually one of them uh, where Annie and Clarabelle are in the really bright orange colour that they're painted in. Interesting. So so that episode can't happen in Series 5, but the, any others, yeah. <laughs> The thing that's interesting is, from from a production standpoint, I believe the reason why we needed to to redo Annie and Clarabelle was given that the the, the kits that they had used to build a lot of the original rolling stock had just you know they'd been beaten to death after you know four seasons, almost five. Mm. Going closer to Magic Railroad, they wanted to obviously have sturdier um, rolling stock, and so that's why they did the the resin castings. Um, so it's cool that they. I'm guessing what happened is they like they knew that they needed to do this rather than just like introducing it at the beginning of the season where they just have the new Annie and Clarabelle. They're like, what if we put a story into this too? What if we tied and then they were able to insert it into this existing mm. plot to Top of Hats Holiday? It, and yeah. we need to mention that these models of Annie and Clarabelle have been in use nearly every day. For yes. four or five years since the show started. Hmm. Yeah. And it's crazy. amazing how they almost incorporate that into a story. <laughs> One thing that I think would be would have been interesting, because when, when they get to season six, Magic Railroad, a lot of the rolling stock at that point is this new resin casting, the, the express coaches, yep. the, the cattle cars, the troublesome trucks, the male, male coaches now are, have that larger look because they're all of these are the, the resin castings. It, it would have been fun. Imagine if there was a story just like how this one ties in the transformation. Annie and Clarabelle, if there was a story that explained the change in the express coaches, Gordon, Ooh. Right? So, something happens to his express coaches and that's why these new ones have to be made or, or wh- why they change it. Like the, lots of potential. It, it's cool that they tied it in for this one. It, it's like, man, I wonder if they could have, what they could have done if they had taken that route with the others as well. Mm. Uh, I, I, I believe there actually is a, a, a story a lot like that. It's Gordon's uh, special blue express coaches. Oh yeah, in the later series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's the story. His special blue express coaches that only ever appear in Emily and the Special Coaches in series ten and is never seen again. Yeah, would have been a nice concept. That's the story. Yeah. One thing that um, pointed out on Twitter in season six, and I know we're we're getting off track here, but there in one episode with Donald and Douglas, the Twin Troubles. Um, I believe that that one's Twin Troubles. Um, and that shot where, I don't know, one of the twins goes back and, and like basically falls into the, the scrap pile or, or what, whatever it is at the docks. If you look onto the like left side of the screen, there's one of the old express coaches there, one of the old models. Yeah. But they like painted it black. <laughs> it looks like it's been burnt out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like my point of view with, with working on, on my YouTube series and everything, it, it leads to the question of like, hmm, maybe there's some story potential here. Maybe an express coach should catch fire for whatever reason and an engine has to put it out. The, no, no, no. The story is 
is that they adorned the express coach in ribbons <laughs> when, the, when, when a train was going by. Oh, dear. Excuse me one moment. I'm writing this down for my future story plot. That's all good. That's all good. But no, so funny. No, you, you see one of the old express coaches in Twin Trouble, and it is—it's like missing a roof, and it's all black and burnt out. Before um, one of the twins falls into a pond in the scrapyard, we don't question it too much. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But coming back to Sir Topham Hatt's holiday, uh, Connor, have you got any other notes or tidbits for us? No, I have not. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> okay. Um, shall we head on to ratings then? Absolutely. Okay, um, I'm going to start because I really enjoyed this episode. Um, as I mentioned, I take issue with uh, the conflict with Annie and Clarabelle only appearing intermittently and using the figurines and not animating them. I think that that is a significant drawback. But other than that, the episode is just pure bliss, so I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. It's a solid 9 out of 10 for me. It doesn't Ooh. feel rushed. It has got all these wonderful little bits of humour and dialogue. It's just so well put together. This is like top quality. Not exact top, but top quality. It's up there. Yeah. Uh, Denim, what about you? Yeah, there's something I really enjoy about this episode. There's a wonderful um, crass sense of humour. There's uh, great visuals and I love the idea that when we see the canal and the fat controllers holiday house you get the feeling that the island of sodor is big and versatile and i love that um but that really interplays well into the story which we got to see more of tiger moth and his reckless pilot but unfortunately this is the only focal story and i guess the uh the arc of um annie and claro as well is really Nice, and I kind of like the idea that we don't need to see that it can be left up to the imagination of the viewer to interpret what happens to them in that period of time. But at the same time, there's room for potential there. Uh, so for that reason, I am also giving it a nine out of ten. Oh, so it's a perfect Douglas from the three main hosts. Uh, Jason, what score are you going to give Sir Topham Hats holiday? Uh-huh. I'm sorry, a per- I'm a perfect Douglas. Oh, Donald, sorry. Oh, no, no. I did a Connor. I, can, I don't oh, believe it. I'm going gonna, I'm to give it a perfect Douglas. I'm going to give it a 10. Oh. Because oh, I think it's, it very much is iconic and it stands on its own. It's very memorable and it's a fun one to watch over and over again. And the fact that it, it does incorporate something so new and fresh, like, it, it really... Like they they kept building the world and keeping everything new and alive. Like the stories did not become dull or mundane early on, and so I, I really feel like this one perfectly captures how even after you know a hundred plus episodes, found a way to make it fun and interesting and new. So I'm giving it a ten. You know what? I am really pleased that all of us enjoyed this particular story, and I think it's one of those ones that people in the fandom don't talk about all that often but they really need to seriously like get on board everybody this story is brilliant 
But I'm afraid that brings us to the end of episode 38 of the Right on Track podcast, where we covered Oliver's Find, Happy Ever After, and Sir Topham Hatt's Holiday. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Love to come on again sometime. This this was really fun. You guys are awesome. Great experience. Of course, you can find details to Jason's social media and YouTube channel in uh, infographic description box below the podcast. Jason, is there anything you'd like to promote before we go? Um, if there's any listeners who have not viewed my, my YouTube channel, I'd recommend going and checking that out so that way you get a little more context into who I am. Um, other than that, that that's probably it. Well, go go check out Nathan's um, campaign that we, we mentioned earlier as well. Yeah. If, yeah, if you're saying, able yeah. to donate, please do. Yes. Yes. Nathan, upside now. Sodor Symphony. That's great. Reorchestrated. You'll love it. They'll, of course, be down below as well. You'll see us again soon when we review some more episodes. Parry, what will they be? Oh, well, we'll be reviewing in episode 39 next time the stories A Surprise for Percy, Make Someone Happy, and Busy Going Backwards. Plus, we've got a very special interview lined up for that one as well. So you don't want to miss episode 39 of Right on Track. No, you do not. But until that time comes... I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. I'm still Denim. And I'm Jason. I'm Mike O'Donnell. And this has been the Right on Track podcast. <laughs> Adios, guys. Cheerio. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Right on Track podcast, hosted by Tom Parry, Connor Jonas, and Tom Denham. To keep up to date and on schedule with Right on Track, you can follow them on their various social media platforms. Platform 1 is Facebook. Facebook.com slash Right on Track Thomas Podcast. Platform 2 is Instagram. Sin underscore Right on Track. Platform 3 is Twitter at OnTrack Thomas. Platform 4 is email right on track Thomas at gmail.com. And on platform 5, for more show details, visit sin.org.au slash right on track Thomas podcast. The theme was composed by Headmaster Hastings. Edited by Tom Denham, produced by Sim Media. <laughs>